That's how I'm going to start it. Just me sighing. Uh, so this will be a, a pretty much unexpected addition um, for the housebound. Mm. For those of us that are now quarantined, being kept in, we've been grounded. That's what I think they should call it. They should call it grounding. <laughs> You're a very naughty boy. Yeah, I've been naughty. I've been grounded. Um, so we're going to do a podcast. I've got uh, AJ Charlton Aaron's with me. Hey, man. How you doing? And um, he's traversed the terrifying journey to get here. It's been lovely. No one's on the roads. No one's on the roads. No traffic. <laughs> You're certainly not going to catch uh, any road rage at the moment. No, not at all. It's been great. Um, and what we thought we would do is rather than just kind of have a meandering conversation that we could do and end up in a lot of trouble, we would probably construct something a little bit more rigid so that we can not get in trouble. Yeah. And hopefully prevent going on tangents every five minutes. Yeah, I'm not promising. <laughs> yeah. I'm not promising anything. I think we've gone on three tangents in just doing the sound check for yeah, doing this. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to sort of Reel off five photographers that um, influence each of us. So I've got five, you've got five. Mm. Um, you've picked from quite a broad uh, genre range, am I right? Yes. So you've got like landscape and, and portrait. portrait. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I've got uh, some street, surprisingly a car one. Okay. That is surprising. Um, very weird for me. Yeah. Um, and then a wedding and two portrait. So I've gone quite, I, I made fun of you for going quite broad and I've just realized how broad I've gone. <laughs> um, but I tell you what, how about you get the, the, the ball rolling here? Who's what? your, who's your first one? They're not in any particular order. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's well, the order is how quickly I could remember. <laughs> or right. find them. Um, Sean Archer is my first one. Sean Archer, the Russian, Russian photographer yep. uh, who shoots on Olympus. Um, I didn't know that. <laughs> I did not know he shot on Olympus. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, Is that really common knowledge? Am I being stupid? Well, I, th I think he's, I think it's quite common. Okay. I just thought it's more, because not many people, well, Instagram, everyone seems to be shooting on Sony. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's just quite nice to see someone shooting on a camera that seems to be, or a brand that seems to be of a yesteryear. Yep. Um, and I just think he's fantastic the way he catches. Quite a retro brand and he doesn't shoot retro stuff, which is kind of, kind of unusual as well. Yeah. It's Fuji good. people tend to shoot Fuji for sort of photos and yeah, you know what I mean? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he's very, very female heavy in his portfolio. Um, but just the way he captures natural light, um, and his editing on skin, I, I just think, I think it's great. Have and you ever seen Irene Rudnick's, um, video where she attempts to? Yes. Okay. Well, I think that's a sign of knowing you're very good is that everyone's trying to mimic your style. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um he's, uh, he has access to some fantastic models as well. I don't know where these women are. No, he lives, like, he lives in a very unusual place. Yeah. Uh, it er, doesn't er, look like downtown Basingstoke no. is where he's finding his models. <laughs> I'm off to Russia, I think. And it didn't take long for us to hit a tangent and offend a load of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. How long have you been a fan? Like, have you, is it's it recent? Got, it's got to be a few years. Um, yeah. I found him on Flickr uh, mm -hmm. and then I follow him on, on Instagram as well. Um, I'd love to go on one of his workshops. Um, I don't know if he's ever going to do one in the UK, but if he does, I'd be all over that. Um, but just, he's got very, he's got a very simple style and it's consistent. Yeah. With just nice natural light. It's not too heavily... Heavily edited either. Have you um, ever seen, I'm going to butcher this, I've butchered this before, but I think it's George I. Chenyajev. Oh, fucking hell. That's brilliant. George I. Chenyajev. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Mm. 
So he's very similar in the sort of color and lighting yeah. and model choice as um, <clears throat> Sean Archer, but he does these sort of 16 by nine, almost like widescreen ratio, oh, okay. 35 mil portraits with a lot of environmental stuff going on. So it's kind of like Sean Archer, but cinematic. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out as well. I'll put a link to what his stuff is in the description on YouTube because I guarantee no one can find him by my pronunciation of his name. <laughs> I th- he couldn't find himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I, I, I guess I'll... Yeah, go on. Are you, you happy to... Yeah, no, all, all, all I'll say is, I mean, the, way, the reason why he mainly inspires me is he's working with very basic setups. Yeah. Um, and just the way he captures expression. Like even with the images that aren't... Uh, he works up to implied, but even when um, it's you're not working on that level, this the expression he captures from people, I just think's fantastic. Very consistent as well. Yeah. You know his photos when you see them. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. I, 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 there's, there's an elegance to his work. Uh, yeah. Which it's, I really like. Yeah, and it, he's not sort of like wildly swinging with loads of different lighting setups and loads of different set no. pieces and stuff. Yeah. He, you, know a, you know a Sean Archer image when you see one. It's not his name either, by the way. No. He, he took that from... I think like Bravo Two Zero or something. He took it from like a really bizarre place. Yeah, Sean Archer doesn't scream as a Russian name. No, you <laughs> can't even set up a Russian accent and make it sound good. Um, go on, what's, what's your one? So my you. first one's uh, a guy I found on YouTube um, doing film photography and shots of a Fuji while he was traveling from like Northeast uh, USA down to Southwest. And I think he ends up in Mexico, but basically doing like, a lot of Route sixty six abandoned buildings and. Um, mm. Uh, sort of showing the off the beaten track America, a Canadian guy uh, called Kyle McDougall, which right. is just the best name, Kyle McDougall. <laughs> I love him because he looks like a Canadian. He's like 19 foot tall. He's got big hairy arms. He's got that amazing Canadian accent where he just sounds like he'll do anything. He's just a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's the kind of guy who help you move. I wouldn't want anything back. Um, but his he shoots a lot of, I think, like medium and large format film, uh, as well as he does reviews on film cameras on YouTube. And he shoots uh, digitally with a, yeah, I think, an X100V or an X100F, which right. is the, like the fixed lens Fuji. Uh, his composition is amazing. He shoots in a lot of very bad light. and produces really cool stuff because he really seems to know what he's doing geometrically with like shadows. And yeah, I wouldn't say his stuff is obviously complex. When yeah. you look at his work, it's not like you couldn't work out how he's done what he's done, but it's just, I don't think many people would find themselves getting to where he took the photo from. I mm. think he, he finds a lot of unusual compositions. His YouTube channel is absolutely brilliant. It's not, overhyped American people screaming into a microphone about you should buy their presets or anything like that. He's very calm. He makes it fun, inspiring. And and he looks like he genuinely enjoys his photography. He's not trying to sell you something. Yeah. Um, And I just followed his YouTube for quite a while, but then I, I found his Instagram realizing that there's a lot of people that I follow on YouTube, but I don't follow on Instagram. I don't follow on other Medium. It's kind of yeah. stupid when you like their photography, but you don't follow their photography account. And I kind of realized I was being a bit of a twat. <laughs> so I started following him recently. And I have to say, um, 
especially for the uh the 3291 project which i was doing mm. um it's just it kept me really really interested and gave me loads of ideas on what to do in bad light so it's kyle mcdougall definitely 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 check him out at least on youtube and maybe be a bit smarter than me and also on instagram yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah so who's your who's your next next one's also a russian uh is- all right this is getting a bit weird yeah yeah <laughs> who's your next one Gordon? it is eleanor have a go at the surname uh <sighs> Shumalova, S H Shumalova, Shumalova. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, S H U M I L O V A. She um, photographs predominantly, primarily, sorry, her family. It's just the way she captures um, the kids playing with the dog, right? And just the the light is incredible. Yeah, Um, she's on a Canon. If everyone, if anyone cares about, I think it's a five D Mark III is her prime uh, main body she uses. Um, but just the way she captures light and again, expression. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's mainly her own family. She photographs and occasionally it's um, a few other families. Again, I found her on Flickr and I follow her on, uh, I think it's You're that Instagram. one guy that's still on Flickr. I'm the only, I think I'm the only one using Flickr. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's going to reach out to me? He's like, please, please don't stop. You're the, big, we- you're the biggest fan. Yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, it's scary if I, if it's just me Yeah, holding the fort. So um, like candid stuff, Yeah, doesn't lot- do any professional stuff or? Um, no, I don't, well, not to my knowledge. Right. Um, yeah, all of it's very candid and doesn't look staged, but some great like leading lines. Great use of the rule of thirds, uh, but the way she captures light, it's all very. You got a lot of low sun, right? Golden hour shots. She's picking the right moments. Yeah, um, yeah. but the way she's capturing the expression with the kids playing with each other and uh, okay, interacting so, with the dog, it is it's somewhere she's they're interacting with the ducks on a farm. Okay, um, and you just think these are stunning photographs. I have a controversial yeah. statement. Go for it. I think women generally are much better at photographing candid moments. I think they're able to yeah. insert themselves in them in a much more subtle way. Yeah, but it's, it's true. And when I talk to female photographers, they're much more interested in expression um, and that interaction where blokes generally want to know what lens they're on, what's the aperture, technical what's stuff. the settings. Yeah. Women, is, are pe- should, women are for people, men are for things kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's just based on my experience. Yeah. I, I don't think many people would disagree with that no um i'm sure someone would because (laughs) it's the internet (laughs) yeah it's everything's controversial uh, she's an absolutely phenomenal photographer um it's really really cool oh cool i have to check her out i've never heard the name at all so yeah i butchered it (laughs) i I came in and saved you don't worry about it Um, what's your number two so i think i'm gonna be really offensive here and not know where she's from brilliant we have spoken. She is based in England and I've, she has said she'd come on the podcast, but there's a lot of people that have said they're going to come on the podcast. Hey. <laughs> um, it's more a case of, you know, you know, when you, you know, when you see someone, you're out at like B and Q and you've got to pick some stuff up, like some paint or whatever. Yeah. And you see that guy you haven't seen for a while and you're like, Oh, how you been? You good. Oh, we'll have to have a drink soon. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's national crisis. I'm like, hey, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, you come round. (laughs) There's nothing going on. (laughs) Yeah, you illegally come round. So this is Olga Gradina. Okay. And she is probably the best amalgamation of Emily Soto and Agatha Serge, Mm. who are my two favorite photographers. Um, She's got a very healthy following on Instagram. Uh, but she has 
the scope to be a lot bigger than what she is yeah. in terms of following. And, and I think she should be doing big campaigns and, and photographing big names. Mm. Um, her, her work is like very, very beautiful, natural light, very narrow depth of field in a lot of cases, yeah. but with tons and tons of texture to the image. Like they, they're very tactile images that there's a lot of um, like freckles are a big part of it, which is a big yeah. Agatha Surge thing. Um, I just, there's a couple of things she's fantastic with. I think she's fantastic at having like a tactile, tangible image where it, like you want it printed and it's rare to see something digitally and want to see it printed. Yeah. That's why so few people print. Um, I'd love to have a couple of her prints to have on the wall here because I think her work is beautiful. Um, she's also amazing with color. Just, mm. just fantastic at working with naturally found colors and working them into well, a and scene. And just picking them out and make, and drawing attention to them. Yeah, the and just sort yeah. of finding the right styling to fit the, what could be seen as maybe a boring scene, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a lot of people would mistake it for a boring scene and she finds a way of using the styling and the model and the model's hair color and so on to mm. really bring it to life. Um, I'm a big fan at the moment. I'm on a huge black and white kick where it, like everything I'm interested in is black and white. And she's like the one exception. I, I'm always happy to see some of yeah. her work in portraiture. Um, if you're a fan of like Bella Kotak or Irene Rudnick or um, there's a few others, I think um, she really fits in well. I, I just think she's Emily Soto and Agatha Serge had a baby and it's her. Right. Um, and if, <laughs> if anyone's a fan of like really nice feminine portraiture that's not sexualized, yeah, then that's the way to go. I think she's, and, and she, I tell you one other thing she does, which I, I always find really attractive with photographers. Yeah. When they find that, that middle ground between portrait and fashion, where it's a portrait and it's of the person, but there's a real stylistic element to it. Yeah. They've thought about it. They've considered what they're doing. Yeah. As opposed to it being like, a girl in ripped jeans sat on the floor wearing glasses, you know, yeah. that makes a lot of people on Instagram wet themselves. I think yeah. she's actually got a fantastically considered approach. In that what's, sense. Her, what's her color palette like? Is it more of a, does it lean towards like a classic film? Autumnal. Right. Very autumnal, very, very like golden and orange. And, okay. But when she uses green, it's really stark in okay. contrast to yeah. everything else in the scene. Um, but she really works. I mean, I, off the top of my head, I mean, I'm thinking of a lot of images with like redhead models mm. or pale models. Um, and then the color just injects so much fire. And, um, you know, there are images that just don't work as a black and white. Yeah. And a lot of people make that mistake because they just think black and white just universally works. But in some scenes it kills it. Yeah. I've tried with her images a few times. I've, I've, you know, put them in Photoshop to just see what black and white. Sure. Ag Agatha yeah. Serge is very black and white. Yeah. And it, it takes so much away. It's her color work that makes her photos. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. But you, have to, but you think about that when you're, when you're shooting, like when I set up a shot, I'm, I'm immediately looking at the colors and going, this looks really good. I'll keep it. Right. Or I'm looking at the light and going, the light is so dramatic. I love it. I'm going to highlight that in black and white without yeah, the yeah. distraction of color. So yeah. clearly she's thinking very well. Well, you can blow highlights yeah. in color and it's a lot more forgiving than in black and white. Yes. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah I think and true. natural light, that's going to happen quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I just need her to come on the podcast for a while, which I don't think she'll do now. She's too big. And now, <laughs> I, now I'm blowing smoke up her ass. But, um, but yeah, absolutely worth following at, at bare minimum on Instagram. Yeah. Um, 
No, I'll so, have to give her a look. Yeah, that's that's my next pick. Cool. Right, over to me. Uh, I've got Anara. Did you pick any ones that you could pronounce? No. <laughs> <laughs> my dyslexia is kicking in. Right. Uh, this one, uh, they're Icelandic. Anara <laughs> Christa Jensen. Christa Jensen? Yeah, a really good landscape photographer. Yeah. Based in Iceland, of course. So the, the, the landscapes out there are to die for. Yeah. But the way, the way they capture sort of an otherworldly feel... Because uh, loads of photographers have been shot all over Iceland. Yeah. I just think their work really stands out. Um, yeah. And again, the, the way they capture textures, colours, um, and and greys as well. There's a lot of grey in certain points of Iceland. Yeah. Um, and just, just makes it look so eerie in some photographs, but beautiful. It's kind of an alien planet unto itself, isn't it? Yeah. A bit. But, well, loads of great films are shot there to make it look otherworldly. Like loads of sci-fi. Prometheus films. was there? Yeah. Uh, Interstellar was shot there. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the When they land on the planet with, with it's just water. Yep. That was shot there. Um, um, it's got some good so. credits. It's IMDB is healthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, as a photographer, Nara is just absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, for the, for the landscapes and it's lovely 16 by nine crops uh, and just the composition of making things look interesting. Um, One thing I find with Iceland and please mm. feel free to jump down my throat on this, but is, is it like you say, a lot of people go there and a yes. lot, it's now very in fashion. Yeah. And I've seen like, it's more on the internet now that it was, you know, five years ago. Or 10 yeah. Years and ago. I, I've seen a lot of um, posts about trying to conserve it a little bit from the amount of people that are going over there because obviously it's about 300,000 people that live there and I think they probably double that in tourism. Yeah. Um, do, do you think, okay, so firstly, do you think Iceland's a bit played out? And secondly, do you, is that more impressive that this person's work stands out so much? I'm not going to attempt to say their name. Yes. For so the, Okay, so the first question was, do I think, it's too played out, too played out a little bit, but then you do that with, with a lot of things. Um, you know, how many, but then you could say that about a photographers that are shooting, you know, near a window with some natural light to yeah. copy Sean Archer or like you said, rip, rip jeans and some glasses and a white shirt. Yeah. It's a lot of things that are overused. So I think it's then to go into your second question, credit to this person uh, as a photographer to be doing, to be photographing somewhere where it's heavily photographed and still making their work stand out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I still think people should go to Iceland and do it. Um, and it's just a credit to their ability to say, Hey, look, I'm shooting where there's thousands of other photographs here, but mine are really standing out and they're looking, yeah. oh, and yeah. they're still looking tasteful. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where we've got to where people are trying to capture things in a new way. Which I don't think it's wrong, but just because it's new and different doesn't necessarily mean it's good. There's, there's a great video about yeah. Grand Canyon and how everyone shoots at this at a certain points all the time. And I remember finding another video how they're making hey how you achieve these new shots of the Grand Canyon. Um, and I can't remember. I can't describe the technique they did. But I looked at it and went, but it's not that pleasing. Yeah. Okay. It's so different. Yeah, it's different. And that's what we want to do. Fine. Cat food and bananas for dinner is different. It it's is different. probably yeah. not going to be great. I'll take you word for it. <laughs> it's, it's a very lean time at the moment, okay? You eat whatever you can. Yeah, we're going to be rationing those things. That'll be a delicacy in a few weeks and we can't get any bananas imported. Everyone's just going to be eating the toilet roll that they've hoarded with some dry pasta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That'll exactly. be the new delicacy. That's right. enough from me, go on. Over to you. So my weird one... Um, is an Instagram page I found when I started the 3291 project and I was yeah. looking for 
Um, I, I have a real um, love for old America. Yep. Now, there are a million jokes people can make about that, but don't. Okay. But I have a real love for old America, that kind of like old 50s, 60s, 70s. Like I, I just love to hit the sort of how much culturally America led the way in those years. Oh, yeah. And it's um, very uh, iconic. Exactly. And I think, you know, everything from the cityscapes to the fashion in America at the time was was has always been fantastic. But I think the real golden age was like 40s to 70s. Yeah. Culturally, I just think is to me the most interesting and one of the the few things in this world that I have no interest in being photographed is cars. I don't care about cars at all. I'm not. I come from a family that the men know how to work on a car and if you don't you're yeah. a woman, so I'm a woman. Um but I have no interest in cars overall. However, mm. 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s American cars before we had to make them safe and ugly. Yeah. I think they were just the most stunningly beautiful designs. And uh, there's a photographer called uh, Paul McKenzie, but mm. on Instagram, he's Paul's underscore motos. Right. And I think he's San Francisco based, or at least a lot of his work seems to be San Francisco based. And basically he just absorbs when he sees classic cars, yeah, old Americana, and he photographs them mm. and the compositions are sometimes obviously very much caused by where the car's been left. Yeah. And maybe he can't get a good photo because next to it is a Prius or whatever. And he has to photograph it in certain ways, but he does like really nice detail shots. He does bizarre compositions. He does some pretty much straight up compositions. Mm. Um, but there is something about natural light photography, especially when it has a filmic look to it. And that era of car, yeah, yeah. to me, it just, it's not really describable other than I just think they did it better then. I just think yeah. they had a better idea of design and what was more visually stimulating than we do now. I think now everything is just purpose. You know, buildings are just squares and they're there to serve there's a no, purpose. There's no character to them. No, everything's That's minimalist. That's why Victorian and- houses in the UK are still quite... Artist, um, aesthetic pleasing. Exactly. But you can look yeah. at some, you know, council estate building blocks, and it is. I can't remember from what era would it have been. Would it have been the eighties? Where you just, it was just all yeah. grey and brown, yeah, and just everything was dead straight, and it just it's quite an eyesore. Um, no one's going to be looking back in fifty years and going, "Those council buildings in the eighties in Birmingham were beautiful," <laughs> right? They're never going to do that. But no. I think at the time that. America, like the at, at, at the heyday of the Mustang, you know, sixty yeah. seven Mustang. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew how good that looked. Same as Z Type Jag. Mm. Everyone knew how good that looked. Yeah, and it hasn't changed. It's just gotten better. Yeah. Whereas, I like I say, I don't think over time we're going to be looking at the Nissan Duke and going. Do you know what people miss the Mister all, all the Toyota Prius, all the Toyota Prius, <laughs> um, which people bought for thousands and will soon be illegal. Um, but I, I think it's like you're not going to look back at those cars and go, oh, people really missed how beautiful they were at the time. People are going to see them for what they are, which is just yeah. function. Yeah, yeah. Whereas right. form was a big part of of the old days. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Paul's Motos is, is probably my favourite account on Instagram outside of portrait and wedding stuff. Yeah. Which is bizarre because I don't like cars. 
Yeah, surprising. But yeah. I take it he's based on the West Coast. And yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's San Francisco, yeah. which I also find really interesting because San Francisco is a really hard place to park. Yeah. So but, I imagine the cars, when they're parked there, that's it. That's where they're staying. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting, though, on that point is from what I've, I went to, or well, we went to uh, Vegas last year. Um, and that's my we first, did. We yeah. went to Vegas, which we, we tangent. <laughs> well, no, but my, ta- my it's like the, I, I, sorry, the first time I'd been that far across the world and there was such a difference in the light there than there was anywhere on the East Coast. And I've done loads of the East Coast. Yeah. And, it, and that kind of sets... That setting, like if you got some of those American cars from that era and put them in London, they just look so bizarre. Yeah. It just look out of place. But if you've got like a classic Triumph bike or an old Aston Martin in, in around London, it's sort of, you go, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. It's weird how a car it's can weird, have a right? culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, uh, maybe that ties into how he's capturing it's them. It's like, um, yeah. have you ever seen a New York taxi outside of New York, like at like a car show or anything? It, it looks like it's like a parody or, or like a, yeah. like, um, like you've gone to Disney World and it's all uh, fake. And it's the bit. same with like a black cab. When you see a black cab in America, I've seen yeah. a couple of black cabs yeah. in America. I'm like, what the fuck is that doing there? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, this is just wrong and God is angry. Yeah, yeah. I think, I can't remember where I was, but I saw a red phone box once in the States that someone's clearly shipped over and I've gone, what is that doing here? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. It doesn't feel real and it feels, um, someone kidnapped a phone box. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of yeah, weird, yeah. right? Does, does the queen know about this? Yeah. Okay. So there's really going on a tangent now, but there's a hilariously awful film. Absolutely worth watching. It's one of the worst films ever made. I had... Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. Go on, tell me. So it's, I think it's opening weekend in the cinema was so poor that they can tell you how much it made down to the dollar. So it's like $2,312. Wow. Um, and it's a John Travolta film. And it was directed by Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And John Travolta plays a... I don't know the vernacular, but I'm going to say mentally disabled character okay who is obsessed with a movie star that's fictional in the film and i think john travolta's first line in the movie is like uh you've got to be quick because i've got to poop like it's <laughs> so tastefully <laughs> awful like it's mr mark what's by it called the fanatic the fanatic right um i would absolutely shout out um uh your movie sucks for doing a watch like a, right. a a commentary where yeah, they yeah. watched it and made fun of it. Oh, okay. Um, it's worth watching for that. Chris Stuckman did a pretty good hilariosity review on that. Yes. Um, as annoying as Chris Stuckman is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely, definitely have a look because it's even got a scene in it. But bear in mind, I just want to reiterate, it was directed by Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit, Yeah. where one of the characters talks about how Limp Bizkit is the best band ever and makes his kid <laughs> listen to him. It's so bad. <laughs> a bit of product placement. So the point I'm getting to is that um, uh, John Travolta basically makes his money by dressing up as a character and hanging around on Hollywood Boulevard and taking pictures with with right. um, tourists. Okay. And he dresses up as a London policeman and he tries to do... So in this oh, film... Don't tell me he tries to do a British accent. No, no, no. Oh. But, but no, no, there's layers to this. Okay. <laughs> he tries to do a British accent while he's trying to portray a mentally disabled person... It's just a work of art. <laughs> but the point is to see a British police uniform outside of England, to me, always looks stupid. Yeah. And an American one outside of America looks like a stripper's uniform. Yeah. It's it's just, I don't know how something that isn't a person 
can belong somewhere. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? But I think from back to Vegas quick, I think just looking at the light, mm. I was seeing how that, just how the sun hits every uh, everything there and boy in, in Vegas with all the with all the red rocks around it from yep. the iron. It's I've not been to San Francisco, I know you have, but just yeah. the way the light hits and captures that part of the world. San Francisco's gets good light. Yeah. <laughs> there is no doubt it gets good light. It sort yeah. of falls into how things were captured at the time. Yes. And then that sort of ties into and you the can't way you fake expect that to anywhere see else. Them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you expect to see it in that light. Yeah. And that light is only achievable arguably there. Exactly. So, and yeah. it's like if you um if you try and photographed, you know, parts of the, the Emirates or the yeah. Middle East, but it was overcast, it just wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just, I know what you mean. It's almost like there's um, intangibles built into the culture of something like the light, which you can't move. You can't control it. It's an orb in, you know, it's, it's thousands and millions of miles away it's weird how there's all these intangibles that make up something yeah. that ends up being an Instagram page that makes me actually like cars. Yeah. So now we solve that that mystery about why, yeah. you, why you like cars as a person that doesn't give a shit about cars. Someone needs to buy me a Mustang before they're illegal. Um, okay, so who's your next one? Okay, uh, Fabio and Tora. I'm positive you're doing this on purpose. I am, of course. Not. You, like, you had like David Smith and you were like, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like how I said it, like it was a question on Torah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I'm thought you were going to try and do that thing where people put on the accent. You know, where like you'll get an English person who goes to private school or they yeah. went to private school. Yeah. They now work in like, you know, the, the financial district yeah. and they go out for fajitas. Yeah. And they put, and it's like, why did you put the accent on for one word? Can I get that? the croissant? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. a flat white. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So go on, tell me about... Um, Fabio is another landscape photographer. Yep. Um, and he does more time-lapse photography that compared to Anara, who I mentioned previously. Explain time-lapse photography to me. Uh, so he'll have a tripod set up somewhere, long exposure. Um, and that way you capture, um, there's a lot of star trail photography and long exposure for, for sunsets right. and that get that, get that nice smooth wave waves on the ocean shore. Yep. Um, again, done a lot. Not all of it is to my taste, but the way this guy captures the light and the, com and the composition, yep. I just think actually this is really, really nice. Well, the really, really, really long exposure stuff is quite often done to spice up a shit photo. Yes. Uh, Whereas like if you have a good photo and then you add it in, it's icing. Not all of his ones to my taste per se, but the yep. majority of his work, I just go, that that's a stunning photograph. Um, I'm just reminding myself of some of the ones I really like. And he's done a lot with the Northern Lights, okay. uh, which I've never photographed. Um, you gotta go, you're, again, you've got to be in the right place to mm -hmm. capture it. Um, and again, many people have done these techniques, uh, but the majority of his work just really stands out to me. Yeah, I'm not a massive fan of um, like really wide uh, focal lengths so like, 20 or 16 mil yep. um, and you've got all these waves coming towards you and there's something dead center in the, in the foreground at the back because it's been done a lot. Yeah. Um, but the way he compositions a lot of the landscapes, especially when he's done stuff with mountains and he's high up uh, with a, a time-lapse photograph, it's just stunning. Is it uh, tied to the fact that you like your hiking and, and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do have a soft spot for um, landscape photography, even though I don't really do a lot. Um, I don't do any professionally. I just do portraits and weddings, but 
seeing other people doing that gets me wanting to go out and do more landscape stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I prefer that over cityscape. I did some lovely ones in New York, um, last year when yeah. I was out there and I really enjoyed that. Um, it's, it's more the mountains and stuff that I, I, I would rather photograph than cities. So you see a lot more landscape photography than I do because it's in your wheelhouse a bit more than yeah. I, I don't seek it out as much as what you do. Um, on the, like, how how bad is the unoriginal unoriginality of landscape photography at the moment in terms of like people doing the same like you say the minimalist something in the middle? Yeah, so we've gone through a phase of when time lapse sort of came really well mm-hmm. to uh, sorry became really easy to achieve. Yeah, we've been technology caught up. Uh, then we had loads of like light trail photography. Yeah, uh, and then we've gone a big push, especially with. Uh, like the Sophie, Sony Alpha range with capturing stars. Don't look at my Sonys and then say something like that. That was Busted so spiteful Sonys. the way you did that. You like looked at the camera like you were going to spit on it. I want one secretly. Um, yeah, and they've captured loads of starlight photography. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'd say there's a big trend of having someone hiking. in the, hiking. It looks a little bit too staged. Yeah. Um, that said, I don't mind people in a landscape photographer, uh, a landscape photograph, because mm-hmm. it gives it um, comparison for scale. Yeah. Like if you've got something in the foreground that you can immediately recognise uh, to give you a proportion to how big something is, trees don't work because trees can be anything from five feet to thirty feet. Mm-hmm. But when you've got a house somewhere hidden or a person, you can point to it as reference, and you go, "Oh shit!" Then you suddenly realise how big and small everything is. Yep. I've got a lot of time for that, but when it's clearly branded stuff and they're time for a tangent go on um i'm really not a fan of like the non-diegetic version of that which is where they like where you plant someone yeah i'm not a fan of that because i think it's like when you watch a movie and out of nowhere a character will bring up some really bizarre piece of information that you like oh that's just foreshadowing that's coming up later on yeah so when it comes up later on it just feels like a checklist it feels like when you just like in when you just kind of enforce someone into a into a landscape photograph and they don't really seem to have a purpose other than to be a person in a in, this, it needs to be quite subtle in the way you implement yes um yeah. there's a there's a shot i think by tom heaton um when he wasn't just walking past a camera that he just set up so that he could look like he was hiking somewhere um there was a shot he did on a snowy mountain that had three people hiking and right. they were fucking miles away right yeah and in the picture they are about six combined pixels yeah but like you say it makes you realize the sheer scale of something and it it adds to the minimalist nature of the shot yeah exactly because they're doing something that they were meant yes. to be doing in the photo that's yeah. when i find it interesting yeah no i completely agree there's um, a lot of people doing um like oh we need something for scale dave go stand over there and dave's just looks like yeah, and he's the, got nothing else going on. And there's a lot of that on Instagram of people hiking and and doing lots of posing and stuff. And yeah, that's what some people like, but it's not my personal taste. The way you've described it is is exactly it. It's there for com- for comparison of scale. Yeah, um, but I just like it when it's diegetic when it feels like there's a reason. Yes, you know. Yeah, it's just something agree. to me. I mean, I'm definitely no aficionado with with landscapes. Um, I tend to go. Once mm. a year to go and do something remotely landscapey, yeah, fail yeah. miserably. It sits on a on a hard drive for two years. I pull it out and I'm mm. like, yeah, it was as bad as but, I thought. But it's, it was. it's hard though, man. Like I was at Snowden two weeks ago before Corona got um, all 
shut down. And um, the week leading up to it was great. Loads of snowfall on the mountain, uh, a bit of heavy wind, no sign of rain. The day we get there, it pisses it down. Yeah. So the first half of the day is fine. But once we're about a third of the way up, it's just constant rain and cloud. I've got a group photo of me and my mates up, but I was really hoping to get some cool landscape photography because I like my mountains with a bit of snow on. Yep. Um, and I was guided. And you're looking at photographs on Instagram and a few Facebook groups where people are often up there to give you accurate um, representation of what's actually going on in the mountain. Yeah. But it looks like I was so psyched up. And then you get there. So that's, that's the other thing to, I always give landscape photographers a bit of credit for because it's it's a patience game. Yes, yeah. it's a bit of luck, but it's there's some photographers who I who I do follow who base themselves in Snowdonia in the Lake District or some of the Isle of Skye. Yep. The same with Anara who's based in um, Iceland. Uh, I don't know how close they are to their points, but you're in that environment so you can go, oh, the weather's good today. I can now go capture what I want. Um, it shows the stones on, yes, well, on landscape photographers from 100 years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they Some would, of the shots done on film, and you think oh, that shit was heavy. Like log it, like you know, carrying yeah, you all had that to up. up There's there. no carbon fiber tripod back then, <laughs> right? And you had no like app. Yep. Yeah, yeah. To check what was going on, you were probably going to die of exposure by the time you were 34. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there were so many, and then, you, and then your film got wet, and you're like, ah, oh. exactly. Like <laughs> like you could do all of that, and then just accidentally expose the film. Yeah. Like there were so many problems. Yeah. I know. So I think if you can think of anything, it's happened once. Yeah. Right. That's, I have, it's, it's a very, very poorly thought out theory, but I believe if you can think of a scenario, it's probably at least happened once. Yeah. Which means I believe someone back in the days of like wet plate or large format landscape photography, when that was the only option, yeah. has hiked an entire mountain and realised they've left something they need to take the picture with at the bottom. Probably just jump off at that point. Mate, yeah, at that point, <laughs> you just kind of sit there and turn to stone, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. You just, uh, you're done. Um, okay. So I've, uh, I've had enough of a tangent. Go on, back to you. I'm going to go for two in a row here. Oh. Uh, and the reason is because I want you to finish. I don't, I realized as we started this order. I like the way you looked at me then. You said that. But Jesus I've Christ. kind of set myself up to main event this list and I don't really want to. Um, okay. So my first one is uh, when I switched over to Fuji, uh, something that I always do when I'm looking at a new piece of gear or um, a new place I'm going to go to or whatever is yeah. I follow a hashtag. Yeah. On Instagram yeah. so that you start to just get a sort of a general feel of it. And see what people are doing with, yeah. the, with the gear or at the location for a bit exactly. of inspiration. And yeah, for yeah. the most part, it's wank and it's, you see a lot <laughs> of terrible stuff. Um, and it, it almost puts me off of buying certain things or whatever. But anyway, so when I looked at uh, Fuji and I was sort of looking at their medium formats potentially for portraits and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so I, I followed the hashtag for the GFX 50R. 50s whichever and um a photographer came up that i'd never seen before and i can't imagine how i hadn't seen him before it's a guy uh, called phil sharp okay english based a lot easier to say than all of your ones so ha. um and he does a lot of like headshot sessions a lot of uh Fairly basic portraiture, but in a really considered way. Mm. Um, really takes advantage of medium format. Like really gives you that lovely depth of field. Shoots slightly wider than most people, I think, would with portraits. Yeah. Kind of people get so hung up on the technicalities of portraits that they don't realize that character is not a bad thing. Yeah. So lenses that may not be perfect might also be brilliant because they have yeah, a character yeah. to them. Um, and 
what I liked about him was years ago, Canon Australia, I think it was, did a, a thing. And a, a lot of people heard about this because it kind of went a bit viral where they gave, I think it was like five or six photographers. Yeah, one we spoke subject, about this last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and, and like what they told one of them, he was a, an ex-con and another yeah. one, he was a self-made yeah. millionaire and so on. So the way Phil Sharp, and I say Phil like we're mates. Yeah, but yeah. Get off the way, good old Phil. Good old Phil. Um, but the way that he shoots it feels like he's trying to push so much narrative onto a person's expression and onto the way that he kind of composes lots of headroom he uses in sort of situations where I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and I love it for the exact reason that I wouldn't do it is why it's so interesting to me. Um, but it's nice when you see something that you'd avoid and someone does it and you go, Oh yeah, you've made it work. Exactly. Which is, which is nice to say everything can work in the right circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. And like you might be comfortable doing something a certain way, but someone else is comfortable doing it the complete opposite way. Yeah. And it kind of shows you both wrong and you're both right. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. Um, his color palette is quite muted. It's quite pastely and, and quite calm, which I also like. I'm not a big fan of, Big neon colors and, you know, another thing that's, you know, to look at my own Sonys with anger. It's another sort of Sony um, stereotype is that you have the really over-the-top color. I don't know where that came from because it's it's more of a Samsung thing where everything's like saturated is always turned up by an extra 10 or 20. I think it's because, it, well, because Sony's, as a user... Yeah, but out, out, out of the camera, the colors aren't that high. No, no, no. But what I think it is, is that but, Sony's are so easy to use... Right. That a lot of people are getting a result out of them yeah. before they know their ass from their elbow photographically. Which is nuts because they're not the cheapest entry entry point for camera. No, but they're not the most expensive either. So they're yeah, not true, they're yeah. not in the worst yeah. position. Yeah. Um and I think what happens is I, I've talked about this before when I've taught about editing. Basically, anything you really do in Photoshop or Lightroom, take back 15%. Yeah. Because you're probably pushing it. Yeah. And a lot, you see it a lot, like two years down the line, you look at your old photos and you're like, fucking hell, I really was. Well, some, sometimes I'll do that. I'll like be halfway or close to finishing a photograph and I'll stop, save it and then work on another one and then go back and go, actually, I have taken that too far. Yeah. Well, you look back to where you started and I do that on my first layer as exactly, the default yeah. and go, oh, no, that skin shouldn't look that color. No. Uh, and that's not actually green anymore. It's yeah. it looks like it's radioactive. Yeah, it looks like someone's put a, a um like a nice Chernobyl film over the top yeah, of yeah. my image. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's I think it's just a Sony thing. I, I do. I think it's it's I think it's a so like how, you know, cars in San Francisco in that like blah blah blah. Yeah. I think Sony's have a bit of a culture. I think it's not hard to find if you follow any photography pages and mm. you just go and look on your explore on Instagram, you can usually find some dickhead holding a Sony in their hand, taking a picture of it with another Sony. Yeah. Or they've they're vaping out the back of a um um purge mask or something. It's just all the same yeah, shit over yeah, and over yeah. again. It's a very Sony thing to do. Um but no, his his colours are really muted. His images are very understated. I've got a real thing for substance over flash. Like mm. it really feels like he's connected to the subject. I feel a lot when I see his images and they look slightly cinematic. Yeah. Which is a very, very loose term that gets thrown around a lot. But when you see, so from frame of reference, if you, you talked earlier about watching Joker. 
Yeah. I think Joker's beautifully filmed. I think there's some amazing composition, but I really, really like the use of how much of the person appears in the frame. Yep. So there'll be um, lots of headroom for people that are being made to feel small or they're, they're, they are being overwhelmed by their environment. You know, there's actually a motivation to the decisions being made. He seems like he's motivated by every decision in his image. I really find it a turn off intellectually when I look at someone's images and it feels like they haven't made all the decisions. Some of the decisions have made them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they've, I got, they've gone that because ah, it's kind of working. I'll just roll with this. Yeah, like, I saw that one guy do this you, thing, so I'll just do that thing. Yeah, and, they've not considered their work enough. And and he he's incredibly well thought out and definitely worth follow um, on Instagram especially. So that's mm. Phil Sharp. To double barrel here, so that mm. you can finish off um, my second my my second one of this and my final selection is my favorite photographer and. Um, the best photographer in the world, in my opinion. Um, and there's a, there's a heavy tangent coming, but he's a wedding photographer mm. uh, based in England. I have met him. I went on his workshop. That's going to be the tangent. Um, he is a street photographer as well. And he is fantastic with timing on his street photography. He, he picks very, very, very clever moments, which I think shows an incredible capacity for patience and for, foresight yeah um, it's one thing to wait for something to happen it's another thing to know it's going to yeah so i think he has both of those in spades um his use of very wide not very wide lenses but wider than a lot of people would maybe use in certain scenarios um is fantastic because one thing i think that gets going back to the men being technical women being about people one thing that i think gets lost a lot with photographers predominantly the men is that there is more than one way to think about the effects of something. Yeah. So we talk about compression or flattering features and so on mm. when it comes to portrait lenses. One thing I do say constantly about your lens choice should be context. Context should really be your driving force. Yeah. How much of the scene is needed for the context of what you're doing? And he's fantastic at shooting with like a 24 or a 35 in in a lot of situations where people would probably switch to an 85 or longer. Yeah. And really getting into the scene, but at the same time bringing so much context to it and so much interest. Um, His wedding photography is my standard. Like that's where I have mm -hmm. to reach. Otherwise I've been a failure. That's, that's my bottom line. I, I absolutely idolize this guy. I think yeah. Um, he's incredible. Um, So Ross Harvey if I haven't said his name already, which I no, think I did. So Ross Harvey, um, I found him years ago on a really terrible photography forum full of trolls and he was sharing work on there um, and then just ignoring everybody, which is great because I got to see the work and I also got to laugh at the reactions of people yeah. that obviously couldn't do it if they tried, but sure. that they're online, they're, they're behind the keyboard, they're, you know, they're tough. Um, he shoots a lot of weddings now that are completely unattainable. Um, and it's hard to even get a context on how I could do my version of what he's doing. He shot, so do you remember a few years ago, there was a big uh, newspaper story about a wedding at Blenheim Palace where it was like an African uh, African oil baroness's son getting married and she'd spent like stupid money, like 50,000 on a cake and 200 
and 50,000 on flowers. And wow. it was nuts. If you go on his website, you can see the pictures from that wedding. He had to sign a one-year NDA, so he couldn't post them straight away. Robin Thicke did the first dance, I believe. Wow. Yeah, like it's nuts, the the, yeah, the amount yeah. of money being spent. And the cake is like the size of the flat that I live in. And <laughs> it's just, it's it's completely... Yeah, different world. You have people in those photos and you still understand the scale. Yeah. That's how crazy they are. Um, but his ability to make everything not only beautiful but also show so much of the personality of everybody that's photographed he does amazing things with mirrors where he'll shoot Mm. um there's a really cool set he did uh with a couple i think it was in austria and they were going to a wedding and they had some pictures with a camper van and he's got a picture where there's one person visible in a mirror another person through the windscreen, another person to the right of it. And they're all like massively far apart. I mean, they are taking social distancing to a new level, but in one frame, he's got them all interacting with each other, but also distant. It's like a mix of incredibly clever, but still personable. Yeah. I can't, I, I I would just gush for hours if I was to Mm. talk about his work. I, I would never shut up. The tangent is that I attended one of his workshops. Yeah. And I've only attended two people's workshops ever. One is uh, English Photo Works. I wrote a blog about that recently. Yeah. Um, and he's been on the podcast a couple of times. I think David's a lovely guy. I've just done a, another blog uh, discussing his um, online masterclass. The The first was Ross Harvey and it cost me £500 yeah. when I did not have money because I was sort of starting my business sure. at that point. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, fuck it. It's my chance. Yeah. Um, and... It was not what I expected. Um, About halfway through the morning, there was a lot more people there than I believed there were supposed to be. Right. So he made a lot of money. How many people are you talking? Between 35 and 45. For a fucking workshop? Yep. That's ridiculous. Um, Well, it gets worse. (laughs) I mean, the workshops I've been on, once you get above 10 people, you struggle just to have... You know, one-to-one and chat and talk people through To, to even ask one question. Yeah. 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 It's like being in class um, at school. You, know, you just get forgotten about. So he, about halfway through the morning, he started to talk about the double slit theory, okay. which is uh, to do this in as Chris Carl way as possible, as shorthand as possible. Basically, it's about the idea that the universe is aware of us observing it. Okay. And that the universe behaves differently when it knows we're watching it. And that if you believe something will happen, you can make it happen with your mind and therefore you can control the universe. Right. You see, you send that positive reinforcement message out and the universe will listen and yeah. throw it back at you. Yeah. And obviously without wanting to be, <laughs> too, <laughs> without wanting to be too much of a pessimist here, um, it kind of falls flat the second you start thinking about like cancer or things that happen to babies. <laughs> You know, coronavirus. it all falls to pieces really when you start actually thinking about things yeah. outside of your own bubble. Um, and you know what? If if that's what helps him get his photos, then power to him. Yeah. Uh, d- won't work for me. And I was sat there for a good hour, just like, please talk about photography. Yeah. He showed like a kid's school video about the double slit theory. And I was just like, please. Yeah. 500 pounds. Talk about cameras I or photography. I didn't come in for a philosophy or, lesson. Yeah. I, 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 I'm married lesson. to a, I'm married to a woman who's done a master's in, in psychology. I, I could go for all of this separately. Can we just... <laughs> Can we just do the photography stuff? Talk about yeah. how you get the couple shots that you get. Talk about, you know, and he did eventually talk about some photographic stuff, but definitely not as much as I was hoping for. 
And then most of it was about pricing because it was in that real, what I would call the Sue Bryce heyday of people just constantly talking about money. Right. How you can make money from your photography, how you can yeah, make more yeah. money from your, how you can double your income. But really you wanted to get to know the substance of how he goes about creating his work. Yeah. Cause I, I at the end of the day, if, if, and it's not a far off shout, if I'm not a wedding photographer for the rest of my life, I'll probably still do it for free because I enjoy my job so much. Yeah. That's the honest truth. Yeah. So his workshop really let me down. I'm not going to lie. Have you seen him since? Or on a no. one-to-one basis? Or no, he's like about to launch a new website, which I'm very excited about. Okay. Um, and his work has completely disappeared. Like he just doesn't do anything now, which is really upsetting for me because I... He could release. Well, isn't, he's not publishing his work. I can't find it anywhere. Nothing oh. new on his website for over a year. Wow. Um, maybe yeah. he's just maybe he just wants to rebrand himself. Well, I know he charges about fifteen thousand pounds for a wedding, so I imagine he probably does three and then spends the rest of the year having good times. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's someone that's shooting every weekend, um, but he does a lot of stuff in Lake Como, which looks really cool. He, I just think he's the best photographer in the world. His ability to kind of combine. So many different elements, which I think wedding photography is the hardest form in the sense because there's no such thing. You have to be all the different types of photographer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he seems to be strong in all of them. Mm. So that's my my top pick. And no, that's a good, good list. Yeah. I'll have to check him out. So now who's your unpronounceable last pick? <laughs> Jason Boland. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Okay, that's fine. Uh, he is... Um, He's a photographer that works in the film business. So he's, he's worked on lots of films, helping with cinema photography and a lot of uh, just um, still shots for the production. Uh, he's a Nikon user, so yay for me. Uh, he's worked on Matrix, um, Mad Max, his stuff on that stunning. That's a great film anyway. Um, I just like the way he captures the atmosphere um, and really iconic shots. Like BTS stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, we both like films and the stuff yeah. he's captured is, it's, it's just brilliant. It's that other angle. And I know some of the stuff he's done is not when the camera's rolling. Like, yeah. it's, like it's when, um, like people are maybe getting out of costume and people are being, um, taking on and off makeup. But the way he's captured that. It's um, nice though. It's nice to see that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's still emotion there and there, yeah. there's something so dramatic and, yeah, I just love it. I think there's a lot of a lot of mystery about how films are made to, yeah. the, to the general public. Even if you think you know a lot, yeah, but it's um, like about that behind the scenes yeah. sort of image that makes you that makes it already interesting. Just knowing this is behind the scenes. Well, we both absolutely loved uh, 1917. Oh, it's a brilliant film. And you walk out the cinema, and the first thing you want to do is is talk to someone about it. Yes, right. There's there's like you want to build a community of people that agree with you about how amazing something was when you loved it. Yes. And I think that seeing like BTS stuff is an extension of that. It makes you feel more connected to a piece of art that you enjoyed. Yeah. Um, how did you find him? Uh, Instagram. Okay. Instagram. He, he's, he's nuts. So he's worked on The Matrix, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I think he's worked on the recent Mulan Disney remake. So he's yeah. worked on big films. That looks pretty hefty, that uh, does. I'm not a big fan of these stupid remakes, but no. that one looks like it's going to be... The production a, value is, is nuts, right? Yeah, and it actually, well, things. because it hasn't also got like expressionless lions trying to have a conversation, um, <laughs> it might actually be quite interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he worked on um, Batman vs Superman. I'm just trying to double check. I'm not That's sure. a shame. Um, <laughs> hey, it's, no, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> No, it was bad. <laughs> um, 
Martha. <laughs> yeah, the execution wasn't great. <laughs> no, no, it was, um, it was one of those things where um, when you were a kid and you made something and your mum didn't know what it was, but she's like, oh, it's great. Thanks. <laughs> That's what I think Batman vs Superman was, was people that had to like it because they were fans of that general sort of thing going, oh, it's nice. I walked out of when it was okay. Yeah. That's how I felt. There's good parts in it. Um, I thought Warner Brothers uh, screwed up. His I tried to watch it on a plane. I turned it off after about three minutes because Zack Snyder's incessant idea or that genre's incessant idea of using slow-mo. Right. It just, I was like, we so, could be done see, with do half like, the film. I do like Zack Snyder's directing style. Uh, I think Watchmen's brilliant. Um, right. And just so well presented. Um, are you a big fan of the Snyder cut? Are you, are you, are you, I want to see it. Yeah. You, you're a guy pushing for the, <laughs> you're the, the hashtagger that's yeah, after it's the, just, it's just me. Right. Yeah. No, it's I, like three I, I and a half, four it. hours long. It feels like that might be a bit much. Yeah. There's nothing else to do at the moment, is there? Can't go outside. Do you ever follow the uh, YouTube channel, Folding Ideas? No. So he's a guy who I'm pretty sure works in the film industry, uh, but he he's like frustratingly smart. Right. He did, he did, um, he did a video called Luda Narrative Dissonance and I watched the entire video and then I was like, what? <laughs> I had to go back and watch the entire, and then I got it. But like the whole first go was almost like putting butter on the pan to get me yeah, ready yeah. to understand the information to then go at it again. Um, but he, he talked about the, he did a really good video recently about the Snyder Cut and he said, I don't think people realize what it is. It's not a film. Mm. It's got lots of, CGI placement and ideas. Yeah. That that none of it's finished. So there'll be a film in there, but in some scenes, a character is going to be a stick figure moving through a computer-generated idea so that you get the the general gist of what was supposed to be going on. Yeah. Because they have not poured the money in to finish it. Well, we that's 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 the thing. That's the uh, well, that's all the rumors around. And we don't know if Zack Snyder's paid for it himself to have it done, but then is he? But then is he really forked out millions for CGI? You don't know. Um, but the way Warner Brothers has handled those films is ridiculous. You have the same argument about how Disney have handled handled Star Wars with the constant, like Rogue One. There's like two films in there. You look at the first set of trailers, which is all dark, gritty war film, and then the next, it's all a bit more lighthearted and jokey, like Marvel. Because oh, actually, we're Disney, um, we don't want mm. anything too graphic. Um, and it's a shame when that happens. And what I like with um, um, with um, Jason Boland's work is it's it's still capturing, how to put it, well, the atmosphere or the vision behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, from films that have been completed. And I don't know, it's cool because it's a, it's a film. So the produ- it's going to look great anyway because you've got this great sets and production value just there in front of you, in yeah. front of your glass to capture. But yep. he's still drawing it in aesthetic pleasing way and those emotions. I think also as well, when you have a celebrity, so chances are there's a celebrity in, in these pictures. He'll either be the director or it'll be one of the actors or actors or whatever. Um, Some of the the stuff is just extras, I should point out on set. Right. And that is, and he's still going, oh, look at that shot from Mad Max. You know, Well, I mentioned Nico Tavernese earlier, who does similar things on on Joker and the Irishman and whatnot. And um, one of the things with him, it made me realize, and I've talked about it a little bit is, when there's a celebrity or someone you recognise in a photo, mm. you can forgive a lot with the photo. Yeah, because we're, we're well, 
we're attracted to things we're more familiar with. Right. So if you're familiar and I with think that's Terry Richardson's entire like career was taking really shit photos of people you've already heard of. So you were like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give him a pass. Who's Chris, sorry? Terry Richardson. Right, yeah. So he's the photographic Weinstein, it would appear. Yes, yeah. Um, but he, his sort of incredibly mm. not particularly thoroughly thought out photographic career yeah. has been held up strongly by the fact that you probably recognize most of the people in his photos. Yeah. Um, while we're in the in the ballpark of, of films and we've got a little bit, we'll end this with some film recommendations, I think, because obviously people are on right. lockdown. People have got a lot of time on their hands. People are working from home. Yeah. Working from home, inverted commas. Um, so we both loved 1917. That's going to be out to, to be streamed very soon. I would recommend yeah, every person be, on yeah. earth watches that. Yeah. Um, what else have you watched lately that you've been a big fan of or what are some of your favourite films? Well, you mentioned Joker. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I, I, I hate super, superhero films. I, I, know I, I love think, I think like, film. out of films, we've got very similar tastes, but mm. we just clash over superheroes. Mm. Um, but I thought Joker, the way it's portrayed, was just just how it's presented. It's stunning. Like the colours, the, the lighting. Score. Yeah, score's the score really good. I've got great. a soundtrack at home. It's so eerie, but beautiful. Yeah. Um, Fitting, I've never... I've never walked out of a cinema ever. And I've, I've been, you know, I'm a musician. I've never walked out of a cinema like fawning over the score of a film. It can be uh, great. And yeah. I, I would just be like, yeah, it was great. I have a few times. I remember, I remember as a kid seeing Lord of the Rings and just being right. blown away by that. I remember thinking that music was amazing. Yeah. Like, it was so fantasy style and um, for like the like medieval fantasy, which didn't really hit mainstream sound, I would yep. say, until Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um yeah, Joker's a good one. Um, have a little think. You, you list some. I'll I mean, I, for, for f I mean, if I go quickly to my... See, it's hard when you put on the spot, No, right? no, no. <laughs> so the problem I have is I'm a big horror fan and basically everyone thinks they're above horror films, so I don't recommend them, generally speaking, because people... Are, there's two types of people. They either say, that horror film didn't scare me, which to me isn't the point of a horror film. no. Horror, film, horror films can be about dread. It can be about almost flipping fear of mortality on its head and it being funny. Yeah. There's loads of use for horror, but people always seem to scale it on either all horror films are bad or how scared they were. See, my gripe with horror films or, or the type of horror films I don't like are the ones where they're just trying to go for the shock value. Yes. Or blood and gore. I'm like, no. Yes. Like my favourite my favorite horror films, for example, is the first Saw film. Yeah. Because you like those that haven't seen it it's two guys who are stuck in a room yep. and they've got to kill either one of them the other one or them, or one's got to kill themselves to get out yeah um and you like both the characters and you want them to escape and you've got to and the film is about you learning about them yes so there's a journey it's yes. not just where the rest wouldn't of them it be you weird just, if a guy got hit with a hammer yeah and it's like the so they've been put in a place by a guy called jigsaw who's saying look you've you've made a poor choice and now you're going to learn from it in this incredibly extreme scenario yeah and they're not bad people because yeah. you like them and you think yeah because we're all we're all flawed creatures in some shape or form yeah but the rest of the films you're like it's just full of shit you're like yeah just die i yeah. couldn't care less about you the first saw film and the morality as films went on started to make that like there was one film where a guy gets killed because he's a smoker and it's like that feels it's a bit like really <laughs> yeah i think we're just we're just have, have you seen make... uh, for, room, room 1408 Yes. That's, I, I quite like That's, that. That's um, Stephen King. It's like yeah. a perfect example of what he does best, which is hopelessness. Yeah. Like no matter how much you think it's going to turn out well. Yeah. It's like the um, ending to The Mist. 
not the TV series, but the ending to The Mist is a guy kills his son, so his yeah. son doesn't have to go through the hell of what's waiting for them. Yeah, yeah. And literally seconds after he kills his son, everything goes back to normal. And he's yeah. like, oh, I didn't have to kill my son. Yeah. Like, it's that that horrible hopelessness is what he's great at. Yeah. As far as stuff I've watched lately, I mean, on just before the weekend, me and Jamila watched Shape of Water, which we'd put off for quite a while. Oh, um, Totoro. Yeah. And that is stunning. Beautiful film, very bizarre in places, yeah. Um, but a very, very cool film. Beautiful story, mm. very well acted, and the cars in it are beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, and Drive, Drive's brilliant. Yes, I have to say now that's set, the great soundtrack as well. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and really well used. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a bit in your face. I think the soundtrack, but oh, I loved it. But I like that it's in your face because the film isn't. The film yeah. is really. I think it's really interestingly paced. Yeah. Like it, I, I, I might watch that when I get in actually it's such a good I, I didn't find myself bored at any point yeah. and the low points felt bigger than the high points the action scenes aren't the bits I remember from the no. film it's, um, it's, the, it's the way he handles the calmness um, he just look. he's just so calm and, and placid barely, barely speaks yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Just, it's, I, it's, I, oh. you know what for years I could not stand him Ryan Gosling yeah, because I got the impression he was like the Backstreet Boys of actors. Like he was there for his looks. Yeah. But he's not. He's actually just a phenomenally talented actor. Yeah. And he takes some really good roles. Yeah. Um, And I mean, Christ, to go back through some, I mean, Enemy, Jake Gyllenhaal um, is brilliant. Very weird. Takes, you know, you can't watch it while you're doing something else. Yeah. Um, But it's definitely worth watching. Not if you don't like spiders. That's one thing I would say. Um, And the... Two films that that have really hit me hard in the last couple of months where I've really gone through, uh, from a photographic sense, The Lighthouse. That's brilliant. It is jaw-droppingly brilliant. Um, but you have to get it through, it, through, it through me because it's in the old square format. Yes, the, start, it's one by one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I, when I, when I was watching it, I was like, is something wrong? Is there something wrong? Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it would have been amazing to see it shot widescreen because of the... I mean, like the poster for it is widescreen and it's beautiful. Yeah. And the scenery is stunning. There's some, some genuinely, some of the hardest laughs I've ever had at the cinema was to that film. Mm. When he kills the seagull, mm. I laughed my tits off. That yeah, was yeah. so well. The fact that it's the guy from Twilight irritates me no end, but he was brilliant in there. Willem Dafoe is beyond brilliant in there. Willem Dafoe is one of the best actors, yeah. I think. Um, um, mostly for Green Goblin, I'm sure you'd agree. <laughs> uh, and then the... A film I would recommend to anybody that's uh, terrified of death or um, I think this is a good time to watch it. It's a film called A Ghost Story, um, which is uh, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. And um, I don't want to ruin it. Okay. Um, But it's very artistic Mm. and it's very emotional. Right. Very little dialogue in it. Okay. But... It, it, I just thought it was stunning. And I had that in my collection to ghost, watch. Ghost Story. It's called A Ghost Story. A Ghost Story. Okay. Um, and I had it in my collection to watch for over a year and I was scared to watch it because, not because it's a ghost story, but because I knew Ooh. emotion. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> uh, but it, it wasn't because of like anything stupid like that, but I knew what it was going to do emotionally. And I watched it on my own and I just sat there for like an hour afterwards. It just, right. it hits you really hard. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a stunning film. Okay. 
it goes a few places you don't really expect out of nowhere. So don't right. look down and then look up because all of a sudden you'll be like, whoa. Oh, pay attention. Yeah. It's it's but it's it's brilliantly acted. Well I've got two okay, so I've got two feel so four films, but two are paired together yep. in the in categories. And I, I know the first two I think you'd like. You've probably seen them. Uh, the Big Short. Uh, I yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's really good. All yeah. about um, the credit crash that yep. happened in two thousand eight, and it's so well done, and it's very accurate, and it's ma- and it's really entertaining. Uh, and one I watched a few weeks ago on Amazon Prime is the Report, Venom okay. Driver, and that's all about the um, torturing techniques that the CIA were using of waterboarding, right, uh, on prisoners of war from Iraq to get intelligence. Yeah, again, it's all based on the true story, and there's there's a a write up about the film with how accurate it was. Um, and that's just really fascinating as a point of history and politics. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, it's just really fascinating. Again, yep. I was on the edge of my seat going, this is really, because you get, you're taking something that's quite a boring topic, yep. but actually make it really interesting to keep up with where the big short did the same, but they made it comical. The report isn't comical. It's quite a straight film. Right. Um, and the other two are just more pick me up films. Uh, Secret Life of Automity. Yeah. I quite like. Um, and there's some great photography in that uh, or cinematography in that. Um, there's a line I really like that, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Sean Penn married, was it Madonna he was married to? I think so. But he's there as a photographer uh, and Walter, have you seen the film? No. So uh, Walter- If I have, I don't remember. Uh, Walter Mitty works uh, for Life magazine. Right. And um, you find out at the start of the film, the magazine's going online digital only. And Sean Penn's character- uh, is the photographer and he sends the film to Walter develop and he can't find the film. Right. So he's going off on a mission. Who's a bit of an introvert to go find Sean uh, Penn's f- uh, photographer character. And it's a great bit where Sean's capturing um, this snow leopard out in the wild. And um, he said, he just says, because uh, a, a character says to him, Hey, what you didn't take the photo. He goes, no, sometimes, sometimes it's good to just enjoy the moment. Yeah. And it's a little bit philosophical, but I think it's very true. And I, I, you must have this at weddings where you think people just put their phones away. Yeah. You enjoy the moment. There's other people there to capture it. Yeah. Um, and a film similar to that vein is Hector and the Search for Happiness. It's just a great Simon Pegg film, which I think he co-wrote. Oh, okay. Um, it's all about you know, finding yourself of what you want in life. And yeah, it's just quite funny. So let's finish with one each. Um, best cinematography you've ever seen in a film. I have mine, so I can go first if you'd like. Yeah, go on. So for me, it's Revenant. I think in terms of framing and composition and the movement, the fluidity of it, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. The the closest I've seen to it is 1917, but I don't think it matches it. There are, one of the things about Revenant is the, the wideness that it's shot with. And when people are close, they feel like they're sat on your lap. So yeah. you feel constantly and the, like and you the are all in natural there. light as well. It's yeah. stunning. Um, I'll probably say uh, Inception. Okay. So basically, anything with DiCaprio. No, just no, I love Nolan North <laughs> <laughs> as a director. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Inception's really just again. There is some CGI in that, but it looks just so believable. And that's one of the films like, I'll, I'll still watch and it does blow my mind. Well, I remember watching the trailer for that when the building starts to turn and... It collapses in on itself. Yeah. yeah. And I just 
I think the first time I watched the trailer, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, it's like yeah. being on drugs for the first time. It's, it's yeah, it's incredible. Well, yeah. this has been amazing. Oh, thank you, Chris. Um, you. Thank you so much for coming in. It's all right. And before we go, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to people that have been following the podcast for the last little while. I'm trying to get as many episodes up as I can uh, to get us through this sort of self-containing, self-isolating, quarantining period. I'm aware things are quite boring at the moment um, in terms of not being able to get out and shoot. So I'm uh, attempting to put as much stuff out as possible to help people get through that rut. Over on my blog at chriscarl.com forward slash blog, I will be releasing hopefully daily blogs of recommendations on photographers, YouTube channels, mini series, and so on for ideas for things for you guys to watch and, and sort of view and things to pass the time. And if you guys have anything that you want to sort of share in the comments on YouTube or anything like that, it's really appreciated. We've really got to look out for each other at the moment and give ourselves a lot to keep our minds preoccupied from what's going on. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>